This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. On today's Simple Passive Casual Podcast, I have Matt Terrio. And I worked with Matt's team way back when in 2013-2014 when I was sort of buying turnkeys. You guys can read about my ups and downs at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash turnkey. If you guys got buddies who are looking to pick up that first rental, which I still think is the best way to get started, although there are a lot of bad things about doing turnkey. Yeah, got to get started somewhere. You guys can send that URL again at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash turnkey. Not to be uh, confused with turkey which sometimes I call them turkey rentals. In these interesting times in the seller's market, it's interesting to see how Matt has kind of been changing his strategy from a turnkey company and kind of getting right back into the wholesaling side and the fix and flipping side. And it just kind of shows that, you know, as the strategy's changed, so do you as the investor. I mean, he still believes in cash flow, but as the active part of his business, as an active operator, which, you know, I, I personally am not an active operator. I see myself as more of a limited partner, more of a passive investor. Speaking of changing your strategy, you know, we just completed our last deal with uh, Mobile Home Park, which is, you know, new. Um, as you guys know, I did the apartment investing, got that mentorship uh, at least a couple years ago. So I've been kind of in that game. But... You know, I'm not saying that anything's wrong with apartments, but if you guys haven't checked, real estate has been hot for the last 10 years. And a lot of guys who have done single family homes in 2014, 15, 16 are kind of getting a little cocky and thinking they're going to do apartments now. And, you know, it's making the apartment space very, very crowded. As I'm looking through syndication deals to invest in, it's just getting hard to pick apart the good deals from the noise out there. So I'm not saying apartments are bad. I mean, at the end of the day, they help out class B and C, which is the exact place I think you want to be in a recession. But I'm always looking for other asset classes or less correlated with the economy. So some of those are, you know, self-storage, mobile home parks, assisted living, you know, even things like life settlements. I mean, if you guys want to Google that, but <laughs> let me know if you're interested in that. That's definitely an interesting investment. But I think at the end of the day, two principles need to be in your investments. And first off, it's cash flow and having a safe cash flow buffer. But second of all, I think forced appreciation is a big one. And that's the problem with the turnkey rental. You're not buying it with forced appreciation. But if you're getting started, I don't really see any other way of doing it. So if you guys haven't, please help me out. Leave me an iTunes review. It really helps fight the negative one-star review that I get from one to time from, uh, I don't know. Help me out. The more reviews I get, the more it helps out regular people like us. So um, enjoy, guys. Bye. Are you absolutely bored at social gatherings because everyone is super passionate about their J-O-B or too shameful to get naked and talk about their finances? Been drinking the simple passive cash flow latte? Got your own coffee parcel? And feeling a little lonely? Re-engage with friends by sending them to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767 to begin the free web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow, so that they can get back up to speed with financial independence and investing. Again, join the web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start 
or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767. Remember, if you don't tell them now about it, who are you going to have a midday lunch with when everyone else is at the day job? Hey guys here, Lane uh, with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Uh, make sure you guys go to the website and sign up for the Who You Deal Pipeline Club. And uh, just a reminder that the Who You Deal um, Pipeline Club's also has got that mastermind attached to it. So those of you investing $100,000 or more in each in a deal are getting free access to that. That number will likely be going up this year, but um, that's the number to get in as of now. Today I've got Matt Terry on the line. How's it going, Matt? Good, Lane. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Matt works for Epic Real Estate. He's got a podcast of his own, and I've been a longtime listener. I think we first uh, met down in California, maybe about shoot, 2012, 2013. I came down uh, when you guys were still doing turnkey rentals at that time. Yeah. Uh, that time you guys helped me get one of my first rentals there in Birmingham. So I really appreciate that, Matt. It was uh, really good working with you and Mercedes. Uh, awesome. Way back when. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, nice to have you on here. First question we always like to ask our guests here are, what is your simple passive cash flow number you're making today passively? And uh, tell us how you're doing that. Got it. All right. So well, it's been a while since I've calculated. I think we're right around a, a monthly $30,000 mark. <clears throat> and it's a combination of single family homes and seller finance notes. So we're pretty much right down the middle as far as about 60, 40, 60% property, 40% notes. Yeah. So you guys, we were talking about you're moving kind of away from that, the turnkey model for your clients mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I mean, everybody knows that inventory is just very low these days. A lot of people, you know, are flipping to more retail buyers instead of us cheapskate investors. <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit from your angle. What are, what are you saying? Yeah. Um, in the beginning, when we were doing, building our own portfolio and we just recognized an opportunity that there were busy professionals out there that would probably want to leverage our resources, our relationships and help us or help them build their own real estate investing portfolio. So we started doing the turnkey thing in 2009 ish. And, uh, before I even knew it was called turnkey, we were just selling investment properties that were already fixed up with tenants in place and performing. And, you know, every business needs a source of, of active income while they're building their passive income. And that's kind of what the turnkey model turned out to be for us. Totally unplanned and accidentally, but uh, it turned out to be really good, and we did really well. We were it was easy for us to at that moment back back then. Gosh, I guess it's like eight nine years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, time flies. It was really easy for us to to provide a twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen percent cash on cash return to our investors and still make a huge spread for us. So it was really easy sales. It was really easy business. But uh, as the years have progressed. You know, as, as you mentioned, the inventory uh, has been falling a little bit and that margin has dramatically been reduced in order for us to still provide a decent return. So, you know, right now, I think our cash, our turnkey business is doing somewhere between eight and 11% to our investors. And so it's a, it's a lot of work for you know, kind of, I wouldn't say little reward, but it's, it's a lot of work for removing us from our main focus, which is still building our own real estate portfolio. So we're gradually kind of phasing that out. It's not, 
I think we'll probably always do it to some extent, but it's not a, a primary part of our business anymore. Right, right. A lot more. I mean, I just see it every day. A lot more people are new to this real estate investing and they, they said, well, I want to buy a turnkey house. And I'm like, you're like three, four years late to the party. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, I don't think so. Um, I, I think, I think real estate is always a good buy as long as it cash flows. Um, and I think it's always going to go up at least as long as we're walking this planet, as long as we're alive. It's just the, the, the elements of supply and demand are already in place to support that. But I think, I think buying uh, cash flowing and cash flowing property, as long as it cash flows, I think is always a good purchase. I don't think you can go wrong there. And if you're just focused on just the cash flow, that's, that's a big mistake a lot of investors make because there's three other profit centers of real estate. You know, you've got right. the amortization, you've got the depreciation and you've got the appreciation. And then you've got the big giant wealth multiplier of, of leverage which really isn't available to the average person and of almost every other asset class. So it's, it's still good. Right. Right. And I always tell investors that it's like, well, what else are you doing? That's better. You know, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Everything I just ran down, all those different profit centers, those aren't available in the stock market. You know, that's the, that stuff's not available to the average person. Yeah. So let me help us understand what you're doing with the, uh, the lease options or that other, your other business is kind of picking up with the turnkeys kind of fading. Sure. Yeah. With, um, in our own portfolio, just like everybody else, it's more and more for us to build those properties or to, to access those properties and, or what's the word, acquire those properties and build them up. So we've been, uh, we kind of built our whole portfolio on lower grade properties at C properties. We even had some D plus properties in there and it's, it's been a good vehicle for us to build, but now to sustain and maintain we're, basically eliminating those properties and upgrading our portfolio to nicer properties, even if the return is lower. And, um, but one thing that we've been able to do with those lower grade properties, and really the only reason we're getting rid of them is just because they're a little bit more of a management headache than anything. So we've been able to turn those into um, seller finance deals, been able to turn those into notes where we sell those properties now to resident owners. So we take tenants and we turn them into owners. And the pitch there is, hey, if you could own this property for less than what you're paying for rent every month, would you, could you come up with a small down payment has been our pitch to them. And so we've taken, like I said, 35, 40% of our whole portfolio and turned those into now performing notes where the cash flow is essentially the same once you, because now we're not responsible for the taxes. We're not responsible for the insurance and, and the vacancy and the maintenance. That's all on the owner's plate. So even though we receive a little bit less on a monthly basis from the note than we did for the rent. It nets out to be more and also with less headaches. So that's been a big focus of ours uh, probably in the last 18 months. Right. So you're taking the original stock that you had, the original turnkey rentals that you had mm -hmm. and then changing out the tenants and acquiring new properties with this, the lease options in place too. Yeah. So it's, it, it kind of broadens our, our, um, acquisition criteria, I guess, our minimum deal standards. It allows us to make deals out of more opportunities that come our way. And we're not always waiting for just the perfect property that fits our criteria to fit into our portfolio. We can do a lot more with a, with a lot more of the opportunity that we're given. All right. So I, I try to make this work. Um, you know, whenever I had a turnover or lease renewal come up, I would try and get my property manager to say, Hey, you know, get in that conversation of, Hey, you know, you guys, you guys looking to buy this property? Do you guys like living here? 
you know, at least mm-hmm. open the dialogue to uh, sure. make it sound like we, you know, we, we want them to live there and you know, kind of take ownership. But, um, you know, it never happened. I don't know. Maybe it's just the property managers never did their job. And maybe that's kind of mm-hmm. one of my reasons why I don't, <laughs> I'm moving out of my single family homes. But right. what were well, some, yeah, what were some ways house, you're doing it? If you sell the house, there's no need for the property manager. So right. that's probably <laughs> the wrong person to try and do that for you. <laughs> well, I tried to sweeten the DNA. I said, well, you know, if you sell it, I'll, if you lease option, I'll, I'll sell you or I'll, we'll make out some kind of deal where you get like the 2% or 3% or whatever mm-hmm. is the standard. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing is just using the word lease option. I mean, that's, that's everyday vocabulary to us investors, but to a resident owner, they're like, what's a lease option, right? So you have to, I think it's all in the pitch and the delivery as well. You know, if you could uh, live here for this, for less than what it costs you to rent, could you come up with a small down payment? All of a sudden that's where the, the eyes and the ears perk up. Right. So if you, mm-hmm. once you get someone who's interested and, you know, nine times out of 10, they'll have a credit score of like a hundred, mm-hmm. you get actually that, that small um, cut slice of people who are actually qualified and can actually follow through. Mm-hmm. How do you structure a deal at, at that point? What are the, some of the standard terms that you, you use to speak <clears throat> out there? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, we don't really put too much emphasis on the credit score if they can come with the down payment. Um, if, as long as they don't have an eviction is, is that will exclude them. And as long as they don't have, uh, let's see, other one, tax liens against them or judgments, tax judgments, or I think the other one is child support because those things will supersede a lien on a property or bankruptcy in the past. Pardon me? Bankruptcy. Nope. Don't mind the bankruptcy at all. Um, is if they can put in a five to ten percent down payment, you know, on a fifty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollar property that we're selling, that's a lot of money to them. They are invested, and we haven't had any defaults at all. But even if they do default, it's really easy. We just take the property back and sell it all over again. So we really don't lose anything. I mean, you start to get a really good idea as to why the banks loan money on property and don't buy the property. It's actually a pretty safe place to be because traditionally anything that would typically go or would be considered wrong in real estate is actually a good thing for the bank. So that's the position that we're taking. So then you kind of create a uh, payment plan, you know, just go grab a amortization calculator and then what kind of interest rate and terms do you usually use? Yeah. So um, we just use a traditional note. So it's a traditional mortgage or a trustee, depending on the state that's leveraged or um, that's leaned against the property secured by the property. And, the interest rate and everything we do, we have Dodd-Frank to work with. You know, we have to abide by those rules when you're dealing with resident owners. But we really just reverse engineer the payment back into what we can sell it for and what the uh, what the interest rate will be. So if it's, um, say it's $800 to rent that property, we'll go ahead and we'll subtract taxes and insurance. So maybe that's 100 bucks. So now we're at 700 bucks. So now we'll reverse engineer the wholesale to produce like say a 650 monthly payment, right? So that, some, that comes out to weird numbers sometimes. Sometimes it's like, you know, a 12% interest rate at 50 grand or it's a, a 7% interest rate on 80 grand, right? So it's just the fact that they are paying less each month and actually owning the property is really um, what the big concern is for the resident owner, the customer at that point. So to deal with Dodd-Frank, you get a lawyer involved and it's, um, Yeah, you just have to get a, um, 
was an RMLO, Registered Mortgage Loan Originator, I think is what the, those initials stand for. So we just have one of those and they'll process the paperwork for us and we just created a relationship. It costs us 500 bucks for each one of those transactions. So it's minimal expense, I think, to make sure that all the paperwork is right and we're in compliance. And they pay that, is it like a third party servicer, sort of like a note servicer that the tenant pays them? Yep. So then we go ahead and put a note servicing company in place and they do all the collections for us. And I think we pay them just 1%. So a lot better than 10% that we'd pay for property management. Cool. Well, very yep. smart. Very smart. Yeah. You know, when I imagine like five years ago, I mean, when I started buying turnkey rentals, it was like you could get an easy $400 of cash flow. But, you know, nowadays it's lucky if you're getting 150 if that, if yeah. you're running properties right. 200, 250 is a smoking deal these days. Yep. Yeah. So it's awesome that you guys are finding different ways um, to, uh, to flex the capital. Um, you know, I was, you know, I've, I've heard of this before and I, I like the strategy. If, you, if people want to do this, the lease options, I mean, in your tenants, you know, let them do that, but then, you know, also transition to sell your properties too. I mean, are you guys looking to sell some properties in the meantime, if an opportunity comes up and is that part of the exit strategy too? <clears throat> Yeah, my, my intent with every property I buy is to hold it forever, you know, because I really want, uh, I'm more cash flow focused than I am equity focused more than I am, you know, giant windfalls of cash focused. I've just kind of done the math and, and the amount of deals you'd have to sell to produce the same passive income that one property could produce is like usually tenfold. You know, you got to flip 10 properties to find a, a bank or a, a, some investment that's going to pay you four or 5% to equal what the cash flow would be on that one property. So I'm not trying to sell anything. And even when we do these seller finance notes, we'd give them 30 year amortized loans because I don't want the cash flow to go away. Got it. Got it. So maybe t let us understand a little bit of your background. Um, you know, how you started, started into this uh, real estate investing, you know, so that the new guy can kind of put himself in your shoes and what you were thinking. Um, I call this the Han Solo moment. Where, uh, <laughs> Star Wars, Luke and Leia went off on their, their journey and they met this Han Solo character and Chewbacca. Uh -huh. And then their all lives took a pivot point and went off to do all kinds of things. So what was your kind of your pivot point that you right. took? Was that, that was in the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I made what, like a dozen movies after that. Right. <laughs> I know, but I haven't seen the dozen after that. But I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, Oh my God, he's going with our star Wars reference. I haven't watched those movies. I'm going to be lost, but I did see the first one. So um, I, re I remember that story. Yeah. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I spent, the next 15 years or so of my life in the music business and I did really well for myself and you know life was really actually very easy and I was very fortunate that I just had a talent and a skill that people were willing to pay for right off the bat and so I didn't have goals I didn't have to set to-do lists I didn't have to didn't need any ambition because I just loved what I was doing so it was really a great place to be until uh, the digital download came along <laughs> and it changed the way people consume music and uh, that just turned the whole industry upside down. And I would say within six months of the, the advent of Napster, um, we were out of business. I was bankrupt. I was divorced. And about six months after that, at 34 years old, I was bagging groceries. So I just went from a seven-figure year to $7 an hour. And uh, after about six months of doing that, paper or plastic, I... Uh, of mentorship was the grocery store manager who had been bagging groceries and pushing carts since he was in high school. He started working there when he was 16 years old 
And at this time, we were both actually, the coincidentally, the same age. He was 34 as well. And he was only two years away from re- hitting his 20 years where he's going to go ahead and, and retire and pull a thing with 80% of his full salary for, from his pension if he did it at 20 years. And he showed me along the way how he'd been able to pick up a half a dozen apartment buildings or so, just small units, like eight units here, 16 units there, 12 units there. And uh, how that passive income from that, that small little portfolio he had built was actually bigger than his pension. And so at the age 36, he was retired. He never had to work again. And he was very excited about that, understandably. And he told me this one quote, this one statement. I don't know if it was his or where he read it somewhere, but I've said it probably a thousand times since where he said, you know, Matt, if you really want your money back, if you want that lifestyle back that you had in, in music, real estate is the final frontier where the average person has a legitimate shot at creating real wealth. And I was like, wow, the final frontier for the average person. And at that moment, I was feeling well below average. I was like, wow, if this is it, then that's what I got to go learn how to do. Because I got to learn how to do something new. The market isn't paying anything for out-of-work music entrepreneurs. So that's what I did. That's how I ended up in real estate. It was just He just told me, go do it. Because I didn't have a plan B at that point. And after six months of bagging groceries, I was like, this can't be the best thing that I've got, right? And so uh, I pursued it. And I'd say within 24 hours, I was, long story short, I was in school to get my real estate license because I thought that's where I was supposed to start. And after about four years of that, I was like, hmm, if real estate is the final frontier where the average person has the shot of creating wealth, I think I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk. (laughs) And, uh, you know, a little bit of a slow learner sometimes, but that took about four years. And then I made the transition of I'm never going to represent other people in the purchase or the sale of their properties again. I'm only going to act on my own behalf, you know, a buyer and a seller made a large investment in my own education. And fortunately I found a really good education right up front, a good mentor. And yeah, here we are, what, 13 years later, 14 years later. And now we teach. So it's come full circle. Did you originally pay for that mentorship or how did you go about taking the next step? It was actually, I think it was $22,000 and that was back in 2006-ish five-ish when that type of money for education was really kind of unheard of. And I remember everyone thought I was absolutely insane, particularly my mother. It was inside of this, and it was really a weird coincidence, or not coincidence, but a weird situation where this really big high-priced education was inside of this multi-level marketing company structure. And uh, I'd never heard of what that, I never knew what any of that was before I was introduced to it. But boy, it was, the, it, was the, it was an absolute blessing to land there to have a great product that actually worked and then be able to make money on the side representing that product while uh, you put your education to work. And I don't know, I think two years they, they were out of business, but it was enough for me to um, get a hold on my own real estate investing business. And, you know, that's been, been going up and improving every year since. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went through one of those programs, but it was kind of like, you know, you see all the people who fail or never really do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you there's a time. Yeah. You know, when we would, uh, we would go to our little education, it was in Glendale, Arizona, and we go there once a quarter. And so we'd go four times a year. And when you got there, I mean, there were 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 students all at one time for a whole week to learn about real estate. <laughs> And, you know, what you just said, it's, it's really common it's, and it's sad too because, you know, in a classroom, there would be 200, 300 students in a classroom, the same classroom, listening to the same instructor uh, uh, teach the exact same material, 
giving you all the same resources and opportunity. And still, I mean, with all of the, everything being equal, total level playing field, that, you know, a, such a small percentage would actually take that information, go out and do something. Right. So I don't think it's the education. I don't think it's always the, the mentor or the trainer or the whatever system it is. It's something that's within. And when you're ready, you're ready. And it's just like anything else. You can go to any other industry and there's always this top 20% that produce as much as the lower 80%. And that doesn't matter what industry that is. That's pretty consistent. I guess that's just human nature. But um, what, what was something looking back on like, you know, the people who made it and people who didn't make it, what were the common traits of the, those who made it and what were the flaws? What were, what were the simple flaws that the, the people who just fell off? You know, there was one instructor, he had this saying, and I've, I've stolen this and I've used it over the years too. He, it was a saying saying, uh, move at the speed of instruction. And, uh, I've heard it referenced in other ways from other people move faster than your doubts, you know? And it was just once they would say, go out and do this. I remember my first deal. He, they said, go out and drive up and down the street and look for houses that look distressed and write the address down and bring them back here. And so I did that. I was like, okay. Did that. I wrote down the address and I said, here we go. He says, okay, now look up the owner. I said, okay, now look up the owner. He says, now call them and give him an offer. I was like, okay, let's call him, give him an offer. And I was like, but wait, I don't have the money to buy this property. It doesn't matter. Just call them and give them an offer. And I went through that process and I got the offer accepted. I said, okay, now smarty, what do I do now? I got the offer accepted. And uh, he says, great. So now what you're going to do is you're going to go to the RIA clubs and you're going to share your opportunity and you're going to focus on what's in it for the investor, the investor partner. And you're going to um, network that way and you'll find the money partner. And I said, okay. So I went and did it. And I think I only went to two RIA meetings before I found that money partner. We closed that deal and I think I made, my cut was like $26,000. And the whole lesson there was find the deal first. If you find the deal, the money will find you. It's much easier to find that money partner or that lender or, you know, the, the, the joint venture. Maybe it's an equity partner, whatever it is, to put that together once you actually have the deal under contract. And I grasped that right away. And so then I just went out and started looking for deals and putting deals under contract. And that's, I, I think that was the, the big distinction that I got. And maybe other people just didn't get it or they were still afraid that they were going to get this thing under contract and they weren't going to be able to find the money. Then they were going to be stuck with the property and they thought they were going to go to some sort of real estate jail if they couldn't follow through on the contract. I don't know. But um, I just did what they told me to do as fast as they told me to do it. So I would think that was what made myself different than the rest of the group. And there were a handful of us. I actually married one of them, <laughs> Mercedes, who you've met. And uh, we were kind of in the same boat. It was like, okay, tell us what to do. And we went and did it, you know? And um, yeah, there's a handful of us. We still talk today. But uh, I think that was the big difference is we just, we just did it. I recently came back from kicking the dirt in the high elevations in Panama. The site of the investment I am proudest of in my personal holdings, which is Turnkey Coffee Farmland Parcels. Coffee, cash flow, and a legacy investment with turnkey management. Go to simple passive cash flow backslash coffee to get a parcel in your mind before the whole mountain is gone. Became a successful student, started doing it, but then what was that? Uh, what was that next step to building your brand, Epic Real Estate, and mm -hmm. become what you you know built today? What was that that switch that kind of? Yeah, on? I think. Um... Well, once I did this and I per, escaped that proverbial rat race, right, and noticed that there were um, 
I, th- I wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to write a book. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write this book of the, and I called it do over and it's available on Amazon. You can still get it today. Uh, but it was half autobiographical, half personal development to where, okay, here was my first life in the music business. Here's all the mistakes I made here and how I crashed and burned. And this is how I recreated my life, started over with real estate. And that's what, that was just something next that I wanted to do. It sounded fun. And so I was listening to, to audiobooks and reading books and going to workshops and listening to, I found some podcasts about how to publish, self-publish your own book. And uh, one of the podcasts said, start a podcast to self-publish your own book. So I started a podcast on, based on the title of the book. And um, through that podcast, it, it got popular and it did, it did pretty well. But I got a lot of questions because my reference points were always like, in the music business is what I did. And this is the lesson I learned. So when I started real estate, I applied that lesson over here and did this. The questions and, and, the, and inquiries that would come in were always real estate focused. And that podcast was kind of starting to turn into a real estate podcast on accident. What was it originally and called? Is it? It was called Do-Over. It was called Your Do-Over. <laughs> you, can, you can still find it. It's still, it's still live. Um, I haven't recorded anything there for a couple of years, but um, yeah, that was nine years ago. So that was a long time. That was before anyone really knew what a podcast was. And so I, uh, I started a second podcast that was just going to be real estate because I still had these ambitions of being a best-selling multimillionaire author, which actually doesn't happen very often. So I didn't realize how the, the odds were so stacked against me in that industry. But the real estate podcast, it really took off. It, and it, it I was like, oh, wow, okay, now we have something here. Maybe, maybe I should start teaching. Maybe I'm seeing, recognizing the demand. And that's kind of how Epic Real Estate started. Oh, yeah, so that organic well. growth. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so that podcast has been live for, we're on our eighth year with that one. And, uh, yeah, it's gone really well. It's been, a, a, I had no idea what I was getting into or why I was starting. And it just turned into a, a great business generator. Um, you know, for, for students, of course, but, but lenders and partners and, and people bringing deals to us. And it's, I think it's actually the, the teaching aspect of it has made me a much better real estate investor myself. Um, yeah, it's just been a, a blessing all the way around. What's your two week experiment that you're tinkering on something, a new project, maybe more of a long-term six month project that you guys are moving off towards? We are working on something. Have you been listening into our office meetings? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm actually waiting to reveal it. Uh, we are going into a new asset class inside of our fund, and we are going to document the entire thing. And that will be released on Wednesdays, our Wednesday episode of our, our podcast that we have right now. And then we'll, once we have that one, we'll be a five-day-a-week podcast. And uh, that will probably be launched in – what do we – probably beginning mid May. And uh, so we're going to document that whole thing, right? Of how we get started in something we know nothing about and take that all the way through the process. We're going to set the goal. We're going to track the goal and we're going to report on that every single week. So that's the project we're working on right now. You want to reveal what that asset class is? (laughs) No, Okay, but it it is kind of neat. I mean, like I, you know, I kind of made the jump from single families to apartments, which is, Mm-hmm. totally different people and different mm-hmm. different players and different rules totally but, totally i mean it's like that the tim ferris book i mean the reason why he's so cool is he dissects learning 
mm-hmm. he's able to um, figure out what's what and kind of readjust himself and recreate yep. himself again and again and again. Yeah. And congratulations to you, Lane, because I, I made that, I tried to make that leap from single families to multifamily and it was not a good experience for me. And so we've ended up selling all of those multifamilies and we'll start over again eventually as much smarter investors for that asset class. But I'm taking all of those lessons into a new asset class and saying, okay, that's where I messed up here. So let's not repeat that process here. Kind of like a do-over, kind of like what I did from the music to into the real estate. So we're going to do the same thing and just document the whole thing. Right. What What are the the first thing I can think of is, you know, just kind of get in, learn the some of the vocabulary, learn mm-hmm. the lingo, like multifamily would be like, you know, <clears throat> cap rates and that kind of stuff. And then I think one of the, one of the, biggest things you can do, the most important things you can do, and I don't know what order these two come in, but I think they're essential, is one is find some sort of, be intentional about creating your environment and about who you associate with and, and surround yourself with doers, other people that are doing what you want to do. Um, I think peer pressure works in, in a way that, you know, in high school, it had negative connotations because you ended up hanging around the bad kids and doing what the bad kids did. And peer pressure was like this kind of sign of weakness, but I think it can work the other way around and be a sign of strength. If you hang around the good kids and what the good kids are doing and you copy and do what they do. And so I think it's really important to be intentional about creating that environment is one. Second is find a mentor. Always, always be looking for a coach. And if you, in, if you do that, you'll find yourself outgrow your coach. I've outgrown quite a few of them in my time. And you're just always looking because there's always someone doing more than you, someone doing something bigger and better than you are. And I think that's just, it's such a results accelerator by just attaching yourself and becoming a person of value for the person that you want to extract value from. And, uh, you know, give, give, give first before you ever expect anything in return. And that's just been a really good strategy for me and many other endeavors in my life. And so that's what we're going to do with this as well. Hey, too many people have this ego thing. It's like, well, I'm not going to pay another guy to uh, teach me. Oh, man. I spend almost $100,000 a year now on masterminds. Yeah. And I've done that for, this is our biggest bill this year. But we started at a $15,000 mastermind just three or four, about five years ago. And I keep finding this. I need to find another mastermind. I need to find another one. I need to go over here. I need to go over there because they are worth it. They are worth every single penny. I mean, you want to interview and make sure that you're getting involved with some good people that are actually doing what they say they're doing. But the amount of, of progress that can be made just by being around the right people that like, for example, you asked me earlier, what's the difference between those that are doing in, in that class and those that, that failed and didn't, you know, meet their own expectations if you join groups of just those small percentage of doers, um, it's just, it's paid for itself. Right. I don't know, at least yeah. 10 times over. I've, I haven't done the math, but I would, I would, I would put money on it. That was the 20, 30 times over what we've spent. Uh, yeah. on our mastermind. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like a lot of money, but they just don't get it. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah. You know, it really put a, a good perspective on money for me. Um, it's funny. People have ambitions. Like I want to make 5 million, $10 million a year or something like that. And then they get, they get, uh, they face a $50,000 debt of some sort or a $50,000 expense and they freak out. It's like, you want to make $10 million a year, $50,000. This is the small game you're playing. This is like, all of a sudden you've got these big ambitions and then you get totally shrunk by something that's, that's a little bit much for you at this moment. Um, 
and I, I think I see that all the time. I see it within myself all the time. Like I'm up to play this big game and I've got the, oh, a million dollars. Oh my God, where am I going to get a million dollars cash? And I was like, well, I want, my goal is to make $10 million in the next five years. So that should be an easy thing to do. Right. Um, so the, uh, the, the one perspective I got on, on money just to talk about a hundred thousand dollars in mastermind. And there's probably people going, wow, that's, you're insane. And other people are like, Oh, that's it. That sounds good. Um, but, uh, I saw a comedy routine, a stand-up show with Chris Rock. And he was talking about the difference between wealth and riches. And he says, if Bill Gates woke up tomorrow morning and his bank account looked like Oprah Winfrey's, he'd probably jump off a bridge somewhere, right? And I was just like, that was such a great perspective that, you know, what, what you have is a lot to someone else. And, and, you know, what you have is not very much to, you, to yourself. And you're always looking up at what someone else has. But just keep that in perspective. I mean, shoot, if, if you're in real estate and something like $100,000 a year for your education and, and creating your, your network and your resources and keeping all that in alignment, if that's a lot of money to you, then maybe real estate isn't the right thing for you. Yeah, just keep doing what you're doing and then keep working 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. So what do you say, like, you know, people are, you know, someone's probably listening. They're, they're trying to get into that first rental property trying to fight through and they hear, Hey, you know, here's man, he's making 30 grand a month and he's mm-hmm. just screwing around trying to do new things. Cause he can, he's <laughs> for the fun of it. What, what would you tell him, you know, to kind of take away from, you know, you kind of recreating and just trying something different and trying to just, just trying to just learn and do something different, but what can they take mm-hmm. away? Well, I think when I was in the, when I was working at that grocery store, my whole mindset had shifted. I was, my goal was, okay, I need to, and it was after reading the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was, I was introduced to the concept of passive income and this escaping the rat race. And so I was like, this sounds good. I don't need to put all this pressure on myself to make millions and millions of dollars. Let me just go ahead, go to work and, and get my passive income to exceed my monthly expenses. And so there's two ways you can do that. You can increase the passive income or you can decrease your monthly expenses or you can do both. And I, I chose to do both simultaneously. And with and just under four years, I was able to get my passive income to exceed my monthly expenses. So I was, for all intents and purposes, I was retired. And I stopped. I was like, whew, I made it, right? And I, and I did nothing for like 30 days. That was my goal. I want to get to do nothing as soon as possible. And uh, I got there and after 30 days, I had watched enough TV. I'd gone to enough movies. Uh, I'd gone to the beach enough. because. Although I was financially independent, I wasn't wealthy, right? I just, my monthly passive income exceeded my expenses. So I didn't have to work. And that was a good feeling, but um, I just got the itch. I wanted to start doing more. And so I continued to do that. And I kind of remember that. And I think what really drives me now is just growth. As long as I'm further along right now than I was this time last year, that's a a strong form or source of satisfaction for me. So that's what keeps me going. And that's why I keep on doing new things. One of the first things I looked into getting away from Wall Street were the many crowdfunding sites out there. But I just was not into paying another middleman to give me a false sense of security and then take a chunk of the profits from the operator and me, the investor. Check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash len or text the word money to 314-665-1767. These lending opportunities are exclusive to simple passive cash flow listeners to power operators I trust and will put my brand on the line with.
Again, for more information, check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash lend or text money to 314-665-1767. Something that you recently thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or an improvement in quality of life. What are some goodies that you're, you're buying these days or... Well, that, that was something very recently as I was kind of sharing with you that we're going to be documenting this whole process in this new venture. And, um, you know, I've got a podcast, I got a YouTube channel, I've got a, uh, I'm on Instagram and I've produced all of that content myself for over the years. And so I do a lot of video editing, a lot of audio editing, and I do some Photoshop work for Instagram. And, and so what I've done recently is I just went out and hired somebody to do all of that for me. So I've hired a full-time person just to do that for me. And, you know, hiring a full-time employee just for something like that, that's burning some cash, but uh, it's an investment in the long run. might not be an immediate ROI, but I think, you know, 18 to 36 months from now, I think it'll, I'll look back and say that was the best decision I ever made. Yeah, especially when it's something that you can sort of do yourself and have been mm-hmm. doing. It's freed up a bunch of time. And here's a perfect example. You know, I'm, I'm in my mom's house right now and, uh, I'm in Oregon. I live in Los Angeles. My business is in, in Los Angeles. All my employees and offices in Los Angeles. And she, you know, she had a family, we had a family emergency. She had an incident and it was life threatening. And so I just, I had to come up here and take care of her. So I've been here for about two and a half weeks. I'll probably be here for another, I don't know, two or three weeks. And I'm working a hundred percent virtually right now. And all because, and it was a, a, a all nothing but a, a coincidence that I just hired this person to do all this work for me. So I don't need to be in my office. I don't need to be in my studio right now. So I can be a hundred percent mobile. And so it's been a big life changer. Like I'm away from the office for probably six weeks and the business is still running and I can run everything from right here virtually. And it was really like the, the hiring of that one person I'm looking back right now and it happened just before my mom's incident. But if I didn't make that hire, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Did you, um, you know, when was the point when you were making your podcast and kind of creating your business that you've brought your first person in? It was, was it kind of the, like a, the same mindset that you had at that time? And mm-hmm. what was kind of the first roles that you kind of outsourced? The first role I think everyone should outsource, and we did not, but this would be my recommendation, is a bookkeeper. Keep good records right from the beginning. I mean, even if you just have one, two, three entries a month in, in the beginning, make sure that it's getting kept accurately. Um, if you let that build up too much, you'll never get to it. And going back and trying to untangle all of that can be very expensive. And not to, not to mention, produce a lot of inaccuracies in your books as well. Because, you know, if you're trying to think of what you spent this $59.37 on, you know, six months ago, that's, mm-hmm. it's hard to recall all of that information. So bookkeeper was one. Second was a transaction coordinator to process all of our paperwork with all of our transactions, all of our real estate stuff. So those were two big time savers. What was the next person? Probably, the, probably my marketing person, you know, taking, finding somebody to, to do all the stuff I don't like to do. And so that was the, the next person that I, uh, so they did all my direct mail. They didn't ran my online my Facebook campaigns and my pay-per-click campaigns and uh, built the sales funnels. And that's both for real estate and the podcast stuff. Um, we've got that person that does it for everything. Yeah. All right. And, you know, in this seller's market, you know, somebody starting out, uh, 
what is someone that who doesn't have a substantial level of cash flow nor liquidity? What should they do mm-hmm. at this point? Um, I think it's the same for every market. And I think when you hear buyer's market and seller's market, that that's something that the media comes up with that probably sources that information from the national association of realtors. It's, it's typically um, reflects on the retail portion of this business, which is probably 95% of all houses bought and sold. It's, those are the people that want to sell. And those are the, the people that work with realtors. Those are the people that try to get top dollar. Those are the people that, you know, they're, um, they don't have to sell. And so you're looking as a real estate investor, I, I'm always looking for people that need to sell because no one in their right mind is going to give their property away at a discount unless they have to. So I look for those five percent of those people that need to sell that are in some sort of distress where getting top dollar for their house at that moment in their life is not the most important thing going on in their world. And that could be personal distress. It could be financial distress. It could be the property itself is in some sort of distress. So we actually provide a really good service and, and, you know, people will exchange equity for peace of mind. And the reason they are in need of peace of mind, because they've got some sort of problem going on in their world. And if you look at yourself as a problem solver, and regardless if it's a buyer's market or seller's market, what everyone is saying, there's always people with problems and those problems hit people every single day. And a lot of those people own properties. So if you just focus on that, um, you can go really far without all the conventional quote unquote needs that you would think you would need to get involved in real estate. Like you don't need a credit score to get involved in that, that circle. You don't need um, loans or, you know, you, you don't need all that stuff. You can get in there and be very creative and you can solve a lot of problems without money at all. So I would say with all that said, and I kind of, kind of laid the found set the stage for this, just focus on finding the deal and getting that deal under contract and everything else. It takes care of itself. Finding the deal, getting under the contract is the hardest part of the business. And if you get good at that, you actually bring the most value to the business. So you might think you're at a disadvantage because you don't have the financial resources to, to, can, to execute the transaction that you set out to do. But you actually are doing the hardest part and you provided an amazing amount of value to somebody that does have the financial resources. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, even in apartments, the, quarter, the deal is like a quarter of it. It's a quarter of the general partnership. So if it's 70-30 split, you just created yourself, what is it, seven and a half percent of the whole entire deal right there for not doing anything other than just finding the deal. Yeah. Well, it's not doing anything because that's a lot of work to find yeah, the deal. Yeah, a, a lot of work right. to get the deal or just a lot of luck. Totally. totally. And the people with the money are, are willing to be a part of that and pay for that because they can't do it themselves or they don't have the time to do it themselves or they don't want to do it themselves. So, it's just, you know, it's just regular business. All right. Final question here. There's a Tony Robbins question where he identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection at. The first is the art of fulfillment and the second is science of achievement. So first, what's your uh, secret to the art of fulfillment? I think I just kind of, I, I touched on a little bit saying that I'm fulfilled if I'm further along in life. If I feel I'm further along in life right now than I was this time last year. That's fulfilling to me. Um, I had never anticipated what it would be like and the, the emotions that would be evoked from teaching people how to, uh, to be successful in this business. You know, I tell people I escaped the rat race in three and a half, four years. You know, I get gets met with a lot of skepticism and cynicism. And, you know, I hear some smart ass comments here and there. Not so much anymore, but I used to a lot. 
And I was like, okay, well, you don't have to believe me. And secretly, I'm in my mind, I'm like, gosh, knowing what I know now, I could do it a lot faster, you know? And, but I was like, well, I'm not just going to give all my stuff away to prove it to this jerk <laughs> that I can do it faster. So being able to share that information with um, other people and watch them do it faster than I did, that's extremely fulfilling. Yeah, let them go sign up for the other 99 cent course and download all that material and try and waste <laughs> their time. <laughs> right. And second and is the, the, the science of achievement. How, what is it that mm-hmm. you're doing that's some kind of a, some kind of a hack that you do been the secret to you getting things done? I don't know if I have. I think I've gotten pretty good at, at, at creating systems and documenting those systems. We use a, a, a a platform called Trello and we take our whole process, we input it into Trello and it's just like little check boxes. Like if we get a property under contract, we have a whole marketing checklist that has to be done for every property that we get under contract. And you can pass that checklist around to the different employees or the partners in your, in that project. And that's been super effective. Like nothing ever falls through the cracks anymore. So that's probably uh, being able to, identify a system that's needed, document the system, put it into a platform where it can easily be managed and then delegate that to somebody else to manage it has been life-changing. I mean, we've been doing that for the last 24 months or so. And shoot, that's, again, that's why I'm up here able to take care of my mom because all that stuff gets, uh, gets taken care of automatically. Yeah. So um, I think that's it, Matt. Um, You know, I just want to thank you again. Um, You know, you guys were a big part of me kind of growing my real estate portfolio. Um, You guys kind of came in at the the right time there when I was selling my Seattle properties and not finding Mm -hmm. any cash flow at the time. And you guys hooked me up with uh, turnkey in Birmingham and then it worked. Go mm-hmm. figure. And then it's kind of been the one Go of figure. The <laughs> Imagine that we were representing yeah, stuff yeah. that worked. Yeah. <laughs> be- before, before I started my podcast a couple of years ago. And um, so, yeah, I mean, hope, I am sure you kind of take the same pride, you know, people, people email me and say, you know, they did this and did that. I mean, it's pretty awesome. So I just kind of wanted to give that mm-hmm. to you that, you know, I appreciate everything you guys are right. doing and, and uh, yeah, we'll see right. you at the top. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You're on your way for sure. Congratulations to you and and your success as well. And thanks for allowing me to be a part. Yeah. You want to get your contact information and people get a hold of you, learn a little bit more about the lease options and what else you guys got going on. Yeah. I mean, probably the best way is if, if you're listening to this show right now, then you know how to find a podcast. You can just go to Epic real estate investing. That's our podcast, or you can go to Epic real estate investing.com. That'll open up the iTunes app right there automatically. Um, so that's probably the best way to get in touch with us. Cool. I appreciate it, Matt. Hope everything's going well out there. We'll, uh, yeah. Thanks Lane. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. you as well. All right. Take it easy. Bye. Bye-bye. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.